these moments are so fleeting too. Like he just keeps changing. And so it's hard to, if I'm out, you know, if I'm doing a run of a show or something and I have five or six nights of work in a week, I really feel bad about missing that time with him. I often ask myself, like, is this really worth it? Do I really want to be here? Or would I rather be at home? And that's sort of a constant struggle right now. I'm Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. Every other week, I talk with artists who are also mothers and caregivers about their postpartum creative process. You can find out more about the podcast at www.postpartumproduction.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. You just heard from Heather Powell, orchestral violinist who works as a chamber musician and soloist. Heather is also the lead producer of Before You Had a Name, a unique live performance collaboration, which marries chamber music, classical dance, and visual art to explore the theme of maternity. And that I also spoke about in episode six with choreographer Danielle Rowe, who worked with Heather on that project. Heather and I spoke about the guilt that comes to surface when balancing motherhood and more specifically about how she balances her value of creating musical and live art with that of being a parent to one child with another on the way at the time of this recording. And I'm excited to talk to you because I have to say that, first of all, you've been such a great supporter of this podcast as it's been launching. And I've loved following your work and your motherhood and everything that you've been able to share with me through that journey that you've been on. I would love to really understand, or actually, if you could start with just a little background on the work that you have done and how you would define yourself as a creative person, as an artist, and then where that intersects with your motherhood journey as well, because I think that would be really helpful to listeners. Sure. So I guess (laughs) thinking, how do I introduce myself? Who am I? I'm a violinist. I have a lot of other interests, like artistic interests as well, but professionally I'm a violinist and, you know, prior to having children, I've always freelanced prior to having my son and I'm now pregnant with our second child. I did all sorts of things. I was up in the Bay Area for a while, playing with the ballet and opera a lot, playing with other orchestras, doing all kinds of other projects as well that kind of came in, but sort of the steady week to week work was a lot of orchestral work. Then I moved to Los Angeles. It was 2017, I think. (laughs) Sort of, I moved partially in 2017, finished the move in 2018, and was kind of working in both places. Just started picking up work in LA. And it's very different scene musically here. There's a lot of recording work because of the movie industry. So I do a lot of recording for film and TV. I've done some on-screen work for shows like The Voice. I launched my own project in 2019. I've played with the LA Opera and other orchestras here. So there's some orchestral work, but it's a lot more studio work. Yeah, so my musical life is sort of this like collage of different projects, whether they be orchestral or recording or small ensemble or some solo stuffs. And a lot of that includes often nighttime weekend work, which having a child has, of course, changed what I can do in some circumstances, what I'm willing to do in others. So that's been interesting to navigate. And definitely becoming a mother has 
it's just changed, I think, what I'm willing to do or shined a light more Mm -hmm. clearly on what I'm willing to do. So I don't know that it's changed so much my musical life, but it sort of brought certain things into focus. When you were talking about time, it reminded me that I had a conversation, not on this podcast, but I may end up doing an interview with this friend of mine who is a filmmaker. And he was saying that, you know, it's something I haven't considered because as a writer, generally the work you do can take place like during daytime hours. There are definitely book launches and events that happen after hours. But he was talking about in filmmaking, how much of the schedule often happens overnight and how challenging that was to him as a producer and director of a film while he was parenting a young child. And he realized that so few of the people on his team had young children. And that was really concerning to him. Like he said, where are these people? Like they must exist. They exist before having children. They exist often when the children are grown, like in terms of existing on that project or in that world. To your point, I think there are a lot of creative pursuits that are limiting because of the time that they require of you and because of the schedule, which is not set up for parents. So you've obviously mentioned that it's changed your focus, but like, I'm really curious how that makes you feel, I guess, and how you've navigated that. It's hard. It's made me feel a little lost at times because so much of my identity was very tied up in the work that I was doing before becoming a mother. And now so much of my identity has become being a mother to my son. And so it's confusing because I can't have the life that I had before. I can't sort of just devote those types of hours, my relationship with time and what I'm literally able to do is very different. And of course, it's changed now. My son is almost three. So the first year of his life, I needed to be present probably more or in a different way than I am now. So I have a little bit more bandwidth now, but it's definitely been a big identity shift, if you will. Parenting is full on, right? Like even with a three-year-old, if he has other locations that he's, if he's in school, if he's in daycare, if he's with a nanny, like whatever, he's other caregiving situations, but at night he likely doesn't. Right. And so, yeah. And I think the thing about nighttime that I'll add, you know, when you're breastfeeding, that's like a whole thing in and of its own with its challenges. Cause you either have to be with your child every three hours or you're pumping somewhere, but that means you're not like working. Like Mm -hmm. in my case, I was oftentimes in my car because I couldn't find a private place to go. I would be in like a lot in the studio in the back of my car behind the shaded windows, trying to (laughs) pump and like looking at my watch and just trying to make everything happen within a short window of time before I had to go back to work. So that definitely had its own challenges. But now if I take work at night, which I do, it's less frequent than I did before. But I'll often be sitting in a rehearsal or a concert and kind of really feeling guilty about not being home with my son, putting him to bed because the nighttime is, I think all parents know, it's like our kids are more vulnerable around bedtime. It's like saying goodnight. It's the longest goodbye of the day. And there's all kinds of things and rituals that happen around that. For my son right now, it's particularly challenging. And we have this whole long ritual that he... (laughs) Mm. has to go through. And I think he's fine when I'm not here and his dad does the routine without me, but it's not the routine that he wants. And these moments are so fleeting too. Like he just keeps changing. And so if I'm out, if I'm doing a run of a show or something and I have like five or six nights of work in a week, 
I really feel bad about missing that time with him. And I often ask myself, like, is this really worth it? Like, do I really want to be here? Or would I rather be at home? And that's sort of a constant struggle right now. I'm sure that will change as he gets older. I'm in a little more independent, but at the moment, it's a big commitment for me to take that time away from being home with him. Yeah. If I'm doing something that I, turns out I'm not as invested in as I would have hoped to be, then I kind of feel bad. Like, oh, I should have, mm -hmm. you know, I just mm -hmm. should have said no. It's important to me to have my artistic life, but what do I really want that to look like? And what am I really willing to invest time in? It's time is your most precious resource. Even when you're not a parent, it's like, it takes on a new meaning, I think, when you do become a parent. I was going to say, because it's interesting, you use the word guilt, but I didn't hear, in terms of that example, I didn't hear the same, at least generally, I think, accepted version of what mom guilt looks like, right? Like, I felt like what you were saying was not oh, well, I'm at this place and I feel guilty I'm missing that time with my son, but rather just torn into like, yeah. and I, maybe that is a reframing. Like maybe it isn't ever guilt. Like I just feel like, or maybe it's like, I'm really enjoying this thing, right? Is that the guilt because you're enjoying something else outside of that identity that you have with your child, right? I don't know. Like maybe that's what the guilt part is, but I, either way, I hate it. And I don't like that's anything that like exists in our vocabulary because I wish that whether you're enjoying that artistic pursuit and you don't have to think about that struggle or like you're saying, I think what you were saying, at least, and you can correct me, is that when you're in that moment, if it's not super nourishing to you, that's where you feel like I've gone through that myself. It's like, why am I doing this thing when I could be doing that thing Yeah, that feels more nourishing in that moment? I think there's a lot of that for me. And I think it's just a function of kind of where I was with my work right before my son was born, having moved to a new city and like trying to kind of carve out a niche for myself or figure out what I wanted to do here and launching a project right before he was born that was very meaningful to me. But then realizing after he was born that I didn't have the time or resources right at that moment to kind of invest in growing that particular project. And I'm not sure when I will. <laughs> so... I wanted to take a pause here to point out what we're speaking about. In episode six, San Francisco ballet choreographer Danny Rowe introduced us to a production, Before You Had a Name, featuring Heather, who was pregnant at the time, and Sarah Van Patten, who was also pregnant and a ballet dancer with the San Francisco Ballet. You can see the production linked in the show notes. Now, back to the conversation. Can you talk a little bit about it and what it is about? Tell me more about the project. As I mentioned, when I was living in San Francisco, I was playing a lot with the ballet and I always loved playing with dancers and just watching what they do on stage. And I felt in a big dance company, like the separation between the two groups of performers, the dancers on stage and the orchestra and the pit and wanting to do something that felt more intimate, that felt more like chamber music feels between musicians where you have a small ensemble and it's sort of very conversational and there's a different style of collaborating. So I had this idea, but it was, it wasn't vague, but I didn't know exactly how it was going to take shape. And I met or rather came across a choreographer just through doing research who 
I thought I really wanted to connect with. And I know you've had the chance to talk with her and um, she's amazing. I reached out to her and we connected. We had a few conversations, really got along. Like I expressed what I could about this idea. And she was a little bit, I think, at a crossroads at that time too. Maybe she shared some of that with you. And I had recently found out that I was pregnant and I wasn't really telling people yet, but for some reason I... I just felt really comfortable with her and I just told her. <laughs> I was like, and by the way, I'm pregnant and I something I'm thinking obviously a lot about and I'm wondering if that could be interesting thematic material for like testing out this concept. And she really liked the idea and we just sort of started brainstorming. And that was in November and she brought a dancer in on the project. I brought a media artist in on the project and it just grew very quickly and we're fortunate to get, or she got an offer from a dance company in LA to do a commissioned piece. And then she called me and said, Hey, I have this offer. Maybe it would be like a good opportunity for us to make this piece and try it out and sort of fit nicely into the window of my pregnancy. It was going to be like during my second trimester. So yeah, we did this piece, which was I don't know exactly how to still to this day, like how to describe it, but on stage, it was live performance piece with several musicians, myself and a cellist, a handful of dancers, exploring the concept of maternity, what it means to become a mother, and sort of all the psychological journey and an emotional journey that a woman goes through. And it had kind of different like chapters or vignettes to it. It was about 20 minutes long, and we also, in the process of doing the performance part of it, brought a filmmaker on board so we could document some of just our process and a kind of a portion of the piece itself and turn it into a film. So there were kind of two projects in one that were happening, and the film then took it to several festivals, and it's now I have to figure out how to sort of release it so it can be seen a little more widely, but it did screen at the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. I think it was in 2019. Yeah, in 2019. I went to, I remember, I brought my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> it was wonderful. Quietly, I was like, wait, what am I doing bringing her to this? But she managed to amazing. sit through it. And you had your son, right? I did. Yeah, it was after Leo was born. He was, I guess three or four months old. He was little. And yeah. did Sarah have her baby as she well did. at that point? Yeah, yeah, she did. Oh, so talk a little bit about that, actually, because you haven't mentioned in terms of the dance performance oh, itself. Oh, yes. So when I mentioned to Danny, you know, like, how about exploring this topic? She said, well, as a matter of fact, like, I have a really close friend. You probably know of her because she's a principal in the San Francisco Ballet. Maybe you've met her. At that point, I hadn't met Sarah, but I definitely knew who she was and I played with her many times. And she's also pregnant. I think she's a little bit ahead of you and, you know, maybe she'd be interested in being a part of this. So it was really fun and special and just magical to have like these two bellies on stage and bring her into the process as well. You know, at that point, like I'd seen pictures of people dancing while pregnant, but I'd never seen any sort of live piece with a pregnant dancer. I still haven't, actually. So just to feature that felt 
important and significant and mm-hmm. um, especially for me as going through this the first time for Sarah it was her second pregnancy but for me it was my first I was really like living the the questions and the just emotional journey of all of it that we were trying to explore so it was a really poignant and special way for me to have the opportunity to explore something I was experiencing I feel really, really fortunate. And what we were able to do in a short amount of time, I think was pretty great. And when we finished, you know, I had like three more months of my pregnancy left. And I thought, well, we have this piece now. We like tested this concept. It's something we could replicate or maybe even build like a group around or some sort of company. And it still may be, but motherhood kind of took over. And I just think about all the time I invested in that short window. So it was like November to March, the time that I invested in kind of like I was the lead producer of the project. So I was really spending a lot of time making, like pulling all the pieces together. I don't know where I would find that time right now with a toddler in the house and being pregnant. And this pregnancy has been particularly challenging. I do not have anywhere near the energy I had the first time around. So I'm hoping I get it back. But yeah, I thought about that a lot because I have a very similar due date this time to what I had with Leo. And so I've thought about, oh, at this point, you know, I was... (laughs) like recording the piece that we use in the film or at this point we were doing the stage performance and I thought wow I don't know where I found the energy because I don't have it right now it takes a lot to launch something but it's as you know it's super rewarding the process and the result yeah I mean talking to Danny it really struck me like you're saying as well that there isn't a lot of visibility of, I know there's a lot of movement in the dance world right now around seeing different types of bodies and bodies in different moments of life and experiences. And so just the idea of how groundbreaking and important it is that you were able to do that and record that and show also a musician who's gestating a child and (laughs) doing that on stage and being visible. I think there's a lot around that. And that for me, this, what's so meaningful for me in this podcast is like bringing all of these stories and artistic expressions into visibility, right? Like even the motherhood part of it and the struggle of making that visible and saying, okay, then what would the ideal world look like? And I guess it's a question for you when you're saying like, I'm struggling to find my way. I'm feeling lost. Like if there were support or if there were opportunities or what would it look like for you that would like be that place where you would feel less lost? Gosh, that's a hard question. It's an important question. I don't know. I had this temporary vision while you were asking the question of like, would there be any way to bring your child to work? Like a crash nearby? (laughs) Or would you want actually like every child there? Like what would that? Yeah. Like how fun would it be to have a space where the kids could be kids and we could like mother them, but we could also do our creative work with each other. I don't know what that would look like. Like I have no idea because that sounds very chaotic, (laughs) but it sounds like a world that I would love to inhabit. We want to be with our kids too. Mm -hmm. Like, so while we're doing our work and I know it's hard, especially for like dancers and musicians, if you're on the road doing something to be away for a long period of time. I was just talking about like evenings, but what if you're on tour or people do it, they bring their kids with them or they're away and it's different for everybody. For me, it really tugs at my, my heart a lot. So I don't know that my answer to your question, I might have to, (laughs) 
I might have to think about it some more and get back to you. But I think just as you were asking, I was like envisioning this space where Mm -hmm. things could live together somehow. Yeah. And I was thinking, as you were saying that, because everyone has children at different ages, like how community driven that could be in terms of like, oh, well, my child is off school at two and they're 12 and they could come by in the afternoons and help out. You know, that there would be such support in that sense of different, whether it's not quite generation, well, I guess it might be a generation between a two and a 12 year old, but, you know, in terms of just that support and what that would look like. And then you also had me thinking of just like the ways in which humans used to live and interact and how much more exposure children would have had to music and artistic pursuits because it would have been built into the community structure, right? Right. Whether there was more like festivities and festivals, you know, you look historically throughout like human civilization and how those were more, were less about like, I'm going to a performance and I have to pay for entry, which also when you think about barriers to like access of cultural events is like horrible. A big one. During the pandemic, as our listeners surely know, the idea of a pandemic pod was started, mostly in desperation to allow children to play with other children in a more COVID-safe environment. My own family started one with fellow Mandarin-speaking friends. We hired a teacher, the kids met in the Presidio, which is a beautiful forest behind our home, and we were able to retain some sense of normalcy in our routines, while also not losing our minds at home all day with kids and work. All this got me thinking a lot about the unnaturalness of nuclear families and how capitalism presses the bounds of what's possible for family structures and caregiving and how all of this is truly at a breaking point. I'm like big in this mode of like seeing how much capitalism like sinks its teeth or nails into like everything that you do and like the ways in which it tries to capitalize on all of these things. And when things can't be capitalized on, it just like then tries to... I don't know. I'm just like systematically look. It's terrifying when you see it on like an everyday basis, right? And you're like, sure. Well, and to that point, like another thing I was thinking is when you do have to, like for me, let's say I get offered something, a job or to play a series of concerts or whatever. And I look at, okay, this is what I'm going to earn from this work. This is what I'm going to have to pay for childcare because I have to leave home at this time. I can't bring my child. This is what childcare costs. Like the calculation often doesn't make much sense at all. Like I'm usually breaking even and not really (laughs) making much money. And not that I didn't choose a profession where money's the main sort of motivator at all. But when you're talking about like weighing, okay, do I really want to do this thing? Or would I rather sort of just be home with my child? And then on top of it, I have to like bring in childcare and I'm not really like putting miles on my car. I'm not really earning. What sense is there in all of this? There's a big piece of that too. And I have some sort of fantasy about, I tried bringing my son to a concert that I did recently because I thought it would be a good way to sort of introduce him to live music and like mm-hmm. where I am at night when I'm right. not with him. And I think it was semi-successful, although when all the lights went down and we were in this like 3,000 oh, person theater, <laughs> it was a dance show actually. And it was a touring dance company that came to LA and I was playing in the orchestra and it was a very quiet moment at the beginning of the show. And I just hear this loud, mama, like, <laughs> so, so loud. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> I think he was a little traumatized. <laughs> but, but, um, but my husband said he enjoyed some of the like, some of the numbers and then they left it intermission. But I thought, 
I don't know, like, I wish he had more of an opportunity to, as you're saying, like, interact with the arts and just see not have to be this whole like production and Mm -hmm. like if he could come somehow I don't know there was like a daycare center at work or well just how normalized it becomes too and this is what my filmmaker friend talked about too of just like if you can see we're hiding it's been so hidden yeah and it's been hidden I think it feels like because the structure doesn't support it. And like, we have to hide it because like, yeah, my child might say mama in the performance and like, that's not supposed to happen. Or like, (laughs) there's this sacred space of art making and children aren't allowed there, which I don't know if it's benefiting. It's certainly not benefiting mothers because then it's forcing them out. Yeah, that's hard. And also I was thinking in terms of barriers to entry of privilege of like, because I see this in my own life of like, well, okay, I can make this choice to be involved in this creative project because I can afford the childcare because I have a partner who does work in finance because that's what capitalism likes to privilege as well. It's like, it's been stacked from so early on that it's frustrating. And I wonder, yeah, if there were more opportunities to collectively share in that. But whereas if the government, for example, like I'm saying like big G government, the federal government provided for artists through early motherhood. Would that look like, for example, how that would change would that the work like? that you take on? <laughs> yeah. Right. So I spoke to someone on our first podcast who said like she was just hustling in early motherhood to take on projects that she didn't care about at all. And it was taking away from the stuff that she did care about creatively mm. because it paid. So it's like, yeah. well, I'm going to take on the stuff that pays more but it's not really where my creative heart is. And so then you think the type of creative work that is coming out is not always going to be reflective of the community of artists because their concerns are getting shifted towards what's going to pay me more. I'm referencing here a conversation I had with Sarah Shavs in episode one. I'll link this in the show notes. When Sarah and I spoke, She mentioned this pull away from her child to stay in the space where she's writing for money, and also the general idea that, for her, productivity is rewarded monetarily. It's really hard. I'm just thinking about how lucky I am. I'm like, I'm falling in the category of have a partner with a steady income that we can rely on. So it's, I have the choice of either just saying no, just not working, and my work being solely at home, being a mother and doing all the endless things that are required to run a household or saying yes to something and then like having to pay someone else to do those things while Mm -hmm. I'm not there because he can't do it because he's busy, like his schedule is insane. And I guess that's lucky. It's definitely a position of privilege, but it's also not a nice spot to be in. Like, and I really feel for the people who are in the place of like, well, I have to take this work that pays more, but it's not what I really want to be investing my very precious time in right now versus I do have access to this project or I have this idea that I want to invest my time in and thankfully I don't have to take this work that pays more because I have some sort of cushion and like most people aren't even really in that position to begin with. And if you have all these other barriers up, what about single parents? Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot. I find that, and this is something I actually found interesting in your talking about early postpartum and when you felt really lost, I think you had said, you know, in terms of you also felt like you didn't have the ability to create as much artistically in early postpartum. It was something we've talked about off of this podcast. 
But I do think like yet the work that like, what is the attention? How does this shift your creative possibility and also the type of work that you choose to do right now in terms of like the project you did with before you had a name or things that might come out of that? what the future looks like five, 10 years down the road for Heather, how much motherhood will impact that? Yeah, I think because it's such a huge part of my identity now, like it'll be a piece of everything that I do. I remember talking to Danny about this recently, actually, and the choreographer we were Mm -hmm. speaking about briefly before she was saying I was having a lost moment during this conversation. I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. It was early on in this pregnancy where I, I was just feeling really vulnerable and sick and kind of lost. And she said something interesting. I don't remember her exact words, but the gist of it was like, your kids will like show you, they'll like lead you somehow to the next thing. And it felt really real, I think, because as a parent, we learn so much in being in that role and watching our kids and helping them like discover the world and who they are and being so much a part of their growing imagination and like how they're putting things together. And it's the most magical part of parenting and being witness to that and being a part of that with your children, like sort of your next big project or like your next path will kind of become more revealed. So I've been holding on to that because <laughs> I still don't know. You know, I've been doing some things. We haven't talked about it yet on this podcast. I think I've told you from other conversations, just like taking drawing classes, Mm. doing painting, like doing stuff that's totally unrelated to my music that I really enjoy that allows me to have an outlet. And I'm just really interested in what creativity is and why, like, it's so central to who we are as human beings. And I started a workshop, it was maybe a little over a year ago now, about this and like helping people discover, articulate better what creativity, what role it has in their work and lives and where their blocks may be. That was something that became like very front and center for me just in terms of what I was reading and like who I was following and listening to when the pandemic started. But yeah, there's other stuff cooking besides the music right now, just in terms of trying to find the next path. But I think Back to your question, my role as a mother to my son and soon to be surprise baby, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl, (laughs) will be very central to whatever comes next, whether it's in the musical realm or or in some other realm, I just I don't know yet. But it's certainly like where the majority of my focus is right now. So I can't imagine it not playing a big role in Right. I don't know if you can see, but you literally made me cry. So I'm. Oh, <laughs> I, think oh. I wish I could hug uh. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it's just, yeah. I think where I was feeling really emotional was around what Danny said and how you mm-hmm. were digesting that in terms of, I'm so tired of the work that we do that has been invisible as feeling like that's not relevant to our professional or creative identities. And even if it doesn't very specifically relate to a project, but that it's meaningful in and of itself, like the everyday work that you do in your home with your family, trying to build humans that are creative, that are thoughtful, that are loved, and yet how devalued that is in the capitalist system. 
the way in which the artistic world then has to sink into the capitalist system in order to survive in this world. Yeah, it just I just loved that reclaiming and that recentering and that I feel like you also have done. And even in our offline conversations of just you've helped to remind me how valuable and important that time and work is. I do want to bring up, I know we're like, this has become a longer conversation, but I'm curious because I know that we both have been in and around fertility. And I think for me personally, that's definitely impacted the preciousness for me of the children and the the fact that I even have children and for many years didn't even know if I would have children or what that would look like, what our family life would look like. I'm curious how that's impacted if you're willing to share, you know, both your creative and personal journey. My creative journey, I'm not even sure yet because I feel like I'm still in the thick of it. So where we are right now, as I've mentioned, I'm pregnant and this pregnancy was, well, it's taken like two years to get to this point now. We had a lot of losses after my son. So my son was entirely, very fortunately, we're really lucky, like right away had a healthy pregnancy. He came into this world earlier than we expected. And his birth was a bit scary, but he's healthy and thriving. And then this time around, just really struggled. We knew we wanted a second and we lost three pregnancies, decided because I couldn't go through that a fourth time. Not that you can always control these things, but decided to see a reproductive endocrinologist. We actually started seeing the doctor before, after the second loss and did several cycles of IVF to achieve this pregnancy and that whole process like from the start of the losses to the IVF cycles being complete was I think a year and a half there's a whole an emotional side to it that is very taxing and then physically what you go through it's just hard to describe but it's very intense very all-consuming anyway we're lucky that this time it's worked out and I have a healthy baby as I mentioned several times, a very challenging pregnancy for many, many reasons, just one after another, it seems like. So I felt very taxed physically, emotionally, spiritually, like, and just been focused on kind of getting to the finish line and being there for my son. So everything else has kind of taken a bit of a backseat. Like I've been doing some work in the time. And as I mentioned, drawing and started this workshop during the beginning of this whole journey, but my resources have felt pretty limited. So I think it remains to be seen what this will, it'll bloom into something. As hard as this experience has been, I feel also a lot of pride that we got through it. And by we, I mean, my husband and I obviously been a big part of this and my primary support and all of it and all the shots and all of it, just all of it, the appointments and hospital. And we've had such a roller coaster. But actually, I was having this conversation. I said I wouldn't bring up my mother, but I'm going to. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what triggered her comment, but she said something like, oh, you shouldn't tell the baby when they're old enough, like how they came here, because maybe it would make them feel bad. And I said, no, like, I I think the opposite. I think that I feel so proud of, Mm -hmm. like, what we've done and sort of the strength that Mm -hmm. is behind that. Look how much we wanted you here. And you, like... This baby was the one embryo we got from our first retrieval. Look how special you are and like how hard we searched for you and all the things that happened to be able to bring you here. So I think like many stories out of some real serious trial and difficulty, like it does become a point of 
pride and strength and like identity. I'm not sure how that will be integrated. I really appreciated your sharing that facet. It's so hard. I think about that too. I feel like I wrote more about infertility while I was in that mode than since I've been out of it. It's like, I don't know if it's too much of a pain point too. Like it's hard to go back to that now. And then you're obviously like, once you're in the parenting mode, it's like so all consuming. that it's yeah. Yeah. It's like hard to go there and investigate that a little bit more. But I really appreciate what you've shared with me and that you're willing to talk about that too. I think it definitely, for me, for whatever reason, it just heightened the motherhood experience. I certainly, in some ways, though, my husband and I talk about, I felt a lot more ready to become a parent because of that. You've invested so much. All of that time that we spent, like, really doing that work. It felt like also, and something I've talked to other people about, like, I think there are so many people, I have a friend, for example, who's harvesting her own eggs right now because she's unpartnered and she knows she wants to have children likely eventually, but she's getting older and wants that option. Like if it happens and she's of an age where it would be harder to conceive. So she's doing her own egg freezing, right? Yeah. I guess yeah. just egg freezing. Yeah. But it sounds so, it just doesn't sound as like, but she's preparing for about like, it's like she, and I was talking to her about, it, I'm like, you are already a mother. Like right now, like the work that you're doing, you are becoming a mother right yeah, now. This isn't true. like I'm going to be a mother later. And even if those eggs don't come to fruition in terms of the work that they would have to do to become humans, whatever that means, I think like she's done that work. Like, I don't think that motherhood is like just a thing that you are when you have a child who, whether it's by adoption or fostering sure. or birth, or I've had mother figures who aren't mothers but are mothers to me. And I think that that's also something, you know, I want to explore too through this podcast eventually. Yeah. But I think that infertility brings that up in a way too. For oh, me. absolutely. Like the work that you do to become a parent. Um, yeah. And caregiving in general, right? Like just like how much caregiving is devalued in our society in general, whether it's caring for a parent or a sibling or whatever. I wanted to ask you two quick questions that you ideally would answer in a one word format, but it doesn't have to be. How do you define creativity and how do you define postpartum? So those are my two parting questions. I get one word for each. Well, it doesn't have to be one, maybe a sentence, a long, 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 never ending sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at that. Okay. Creativity is connecting with your soul and your surroundings. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Postpartum. (laughs) Postpartum is messy, squishy, sacred, topsy-turvy. I can only think of adjectives to answer that question and not sentences. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced. (laughs) Yeah. Very vulnerable. Those are my answers. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. There is no right answer. (laughs) There's no right, no wrong answer. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear what other people said. Oh, the messiness of postpartum. It's, I don't know, maybe that's like, I go to that adjective because I'm such a sort of neat freak. And it was like, Mm. being in that time was like, oh my God, what is this? (laughs) Like, who am I? Like, whose body is this? Like, whose baby is this? So messy, but so just 
precious. Yeah, they're right. There really is nothing like that. And yet we force mothers to uh, get into that, what we ask of people in that moment of transition. Yeah. Well, thank you, Heather. In our conversation, like many conversations with artists I've had, Heather mentioned that she finds it hard to justify her creative pursuits while mothering. She talked a lot about what it means to be creative and how she defines creativity. First, she said that creativity is fundamentally human. Next, that creativity is connecting with your soul and surroundings. What's creativity to you? I'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at postpartumproduction.com and tell us what you feel the true roots of creativity are. I'm your host, Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. This will help us reach more listeners like you who are navigating the joys and pitfalls of artistic and parenting identities. For regular updates, visit our website, postpartumproduction.com, follow us on Instagram at postpartumproductionpodcast, and subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Substack. Thank you for listening, and we are so grateful to have you with us on this journey. Postpartum may feel like forever, and sometimes it may feel very lonely, but you're not alone here.